This is Vinyl Analysis. I'm your host, Arch Madness. Along with me, producer, Greg Hansberry. Yo! Yo. And Greg, the reason I'm, you know, I usually have a bunch of fluff and stuff that mm-hmm. I like to fluff and stuff. <laughs> Did you ever watch their stuff back <laughs> yeah. in the 70s? I don't remember it. Uh, <laughs> that's how you want to start yeah, this off, yeah. right? Uh, but no, I have a uh, a lengthy, it is, uh, it is, uh, it's got some girth to it. This uh, interview that I was able to do. So, I'm going to tell you right now that this vinyl analysis is a artist edition. You know how much I love the whole Sunset Strip scene from the 80s. Absolutely. Right? That's that's my go-to. I love it. I love that's it. I love it. That's your Garden of Eden. There was a band in the late 80s, and they were called, it was towards the tail end of the movement, uh, but this cat actually is a California guy, grew up there, saw the whole scene. Uh, he talks about it in this interview. It's Mark Knight. Now, Mark Knight, uh, for those of you that are, are like, Mark Knight, how do I know that? How do mm-hmm. I know that? He was in a band called Bang Tango. He formed the band in the late 80s. Uh, they had a hit on MTV and Headbangers Ball and really on regular rotation uh, on MTV, Someone Like You. Not to be confused, by the way, with Wango Tango no, from no, Ted Nugent. No, this yeah, is completely okay. different right. from that. Okay. Okay, so, just sure. so anyway, and I've known Mark uh, for for a little while. He used to, I had a Periscope show that I used to do and talk yeah, music uh-huh, and, yeah. and Mark would come on and stuff. Uh, but I love Bang Tango, love that album, uh, Psycho Cafe. That was their first record. Uh, we're going to talk about that record in this. And now Mark finds himself, he's out in Cali, he's a surfer, but he's doing that alt rock country vibe, that Americana, you, you know what I'm yeah. talking about, that whole... That whole thing there. And that's cool that he can kind of evolve. Yeah, He wasn't a a one-trick pony. No, not at all. Great guitar player, great songwriter, has always kind of surrounded himself, and you'll hear in this interview, surrounded himself with some some really good musicians throughout his career. So he was able to do that. So we're going to talk about uh, the Sunset Strip, uh, growing up out there, uh, Bang Tango, and then his new record, um, you know. So it's kind of cool. So anyway, without further ado... Here is from Bang Tango, guitarist and founder, Mark Knight. Joining me on the line, singer-songwriter, Mark Knight. Mark, what is up? Oh, man, lots of stuff, man. How you doing, Arch? I'm, I'm hanging in there, man. I'm hanging yeah. in there. I, uh, so cool to talk to you. And I'll be honest with you, when I when I put out on, on Facebook that uh, I was going to have you on, I was going to be talking to you, the the list of questions. Everybody, ask Mark this. Ask Mark Psycho <laughs> right Cafe. Who wrote this riff? Who did this? So uh, yeah. I've ignored all that. I'm going to be very very selfish and just ask you the questions that I want to ask you. So hey, just shoot, shoot me with the questions. <laughs> I'll fill you in. So, I'll take so, care of everybody that has questions. Too. <laughs> I'll so, answer them as well. So so here we go, my man. Let let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning because truly, Mark, 99 percent of my audience that that listens to to my show and vinyl analysis. They know you as the founder and guitarist of the band Bang Tango. Now, so let's let's go all the way back. It's 1988 before the record comes out in 89, but let's go back to 88, Sunset Strip. Set the scene for us. I mean, how how did the band get formed? How did you, I mean, are you, you know, you, I picture uh, you're fighting for your life there, man, in, in the late 80s in Hollywood. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I grew up in L.A., so I came out of uh, the whole scene from when I was like 15, 16-year-old going down to the Troubadour and watching Mot- Motley Crue play two sets Shut of whiskey and stuff. Up. So, so I, I was kind of breathing on the whole scene in L.A., and, and you know, we 
we'd head down to the Sunset Strip and, you know, just get hammered in the parking lots and go in and wash hands, <laughs> barely getting into the Troubadour, watching like Wasp and stuff with like steak thrown out into the audience back in the day. Right. <laughs> Blackie so, did that. Oh, yeah, man. It was crazy. I, I opened up for Wasp when I was 16 and I was scared to death because he was, you know, six foot eight man with blood all over him. And we'd have to go out. <laughs> and play after him at, like, 1 in the morning. We'd be the closing act. But anyways, uh, Bang Tango was formed. Basically, I was a, band, a bunch of different bands. Mickey and I was band. We opened up for Poison and Rat and all those bands. And then uh, that broke up, and I formed a band called City Slick with Kyle Kyle. We had this band together. He was a bass, um, you know, eventually me and him put together Bang Tango. Right. Um, that kind of split up, and then I decided I wanted to, to do something different. So, uh, uh, you know, Kyle was going his own way. So I left the band, too, just because I wanted to kind of keep Kyle around because he's such a badass bass player. And uh, and we were just, we hit it off, so we decided to go for uh, finding a new singer. And then we found Joe Listay. Uh, he lived in San Diego. And uh, we got him up here through Amir Rock, who uh, the guitar player for Rough Cut. He had recommended uh, him. So Joe came up. Um, we did we did one jam with him, and, you know, we you know the, the kid, you know, he was young. We were all young. We liked his vibe, and uh, he said, hey, let's do this. And then I wanted another guitar player, so uh, Kyle Stevens, um, who I'd you know, kind of grown up with, and I actually taught him guitar when we were in high school. Uh, he had become a really great guitar player, and he, he even had like a solo deal as like uh, a Mark, Mike Varney type of player. Right, so, right, right. Uh, I, yeah, I pulled him in, and then that formed Bang Tango. We had a different drummer. The drummer that we had lasted about six months, and then Joe had... Uh, a buddy from San Diego named Tig, who who uh, he, he referred. Tig was a great guy, part of the family, kind of. He was hanging out, so we uh, we pulled him in, and that was the original lineup. Now, before we get in, in, into Psycho Cafe, because I, I do want to, that's something I really, really want to talk about, and, and just when that hit. But, but I mean, speaking as a, a kid who grew up in the 80s in, in Ohio, um, do, do you feel like you guys kind of took things for granted? You're, you're talking about... You were in L.A., you saw it. It was like a fairy tale land for most of us. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't want to go to Disneyland. I wanted to go, I wanted to see the damn rainbow. I wanted to see the troubadour. I mean, it was, you know, and we just, we read these. Yeah, man. The Sunset Strip was literally like New Year's Eve (laughs) in every night. Yeah. Like, you know, at least Thursday through Saturday. You couldn't move. It was like a parade of people and hundreds of bands that came from everybody everywhere, but barely anywhere from L.A. We were one of the ones that were kind of from a tour. Right, right, right. Here. So, I mean, it was just, it was, yeah, I guess we did take it for granted because, you know, we grew up here and we kind of saw it all happen. And then what would happen with, with us is the fact that, you know, me and Kyle Stevens are from Los Angeles, uh, so we'd bump into people, these, these bands that would come in from all over the country and have attitudes with us because we lived in the San Fernando Valley, which wasn't actually Hollywood. And we'd be like, well, you know, you're from Indiana, you know. <laughs> right, Are you right. serious? <laughs> and we'd get like beefs with these guys because we weren't a Hollywood band, technically, because we were based in North Hollywood or the Valley. And we'd be like, you know, we're from here. You know, so there was a lot of territorial stuff that was kind of going on. But um, it was it, it was so fun i mean we go out every single night there was a different venue the uh the odd nights like monday through thursday were actually a lot funner for for the bands because it wasn't like such a a big show you know and and i guess 
also with the whole Sunset Strip thing, and do you think it could, could we relive that? Could that have been done? I, I shouldn't say relive. I, I got to rephrase that. Could it be done nowadays with social media? Because, uh, you know, and I'm talking about, I got it from the fanzines. I got it from Circus and and, and Rip and, you know, and Kerrang and, and all that stuff. That's, that's where I got my info. And I guess it kind of made it, and, you know, when I told you, you know, did you take it for granted? It was just such this, it was a storybook for us, man. And, well, the, and mean, the stuff you guys were doing. Up, I would look at like, you know, the scene going on in like England, you know, or like, you know, the, the Beatles and the, all the, the, the British invasion came from, you know. So that was a fantasy to me. And I look at it through Kerrang! magazine, you know, and I'd be like, well, all these bands are playing out of this whole scene. L.A. hadn't really even kicked off like that yet. But, right. you know, as I got older, of course, you know, it, it did happen. And you, answer your question, like with social media nowadays, you know, nobody wants to go anywhere. They just turn on their computer or their phone and look at everything. It's like people had to get out and mingle to, like, promote their bands and make flyers. And it was like, you know, you had to get in people's. You had to actually live life with some of these other bands and fans and make fans. Nowadays, it's a click of, you know, a click of your phone. Do you like that? And I don't want to, and, and I tend to on the show, kind of go off into different tangents. You know, uh, Jack Jack White was, was in town here in Columbus uh, not too long ago, and and. He's one of the artists now that are uh, putting a ban on phones. And I get it. I get it to a certain extent. I don't think it should go that far. I mean, I love, if I go see somebody, I like taking I like taking a picture just so I can show my friends where I'm sitting. And I, okay. and I like to capture a little bit of it, but then I put it away. You know, we went and saw, uh, I'm trying to think of, I'm just trying to think of a, of a show here recently. I guess it doesn't matter. But you, you go and you, and you grab a few seconds of a song and then, then I'm done with it. But... Some people sit there and they, they download the whole damn thing, Mark. Yeah, I think that real-life interaction with other humans are what makes it makes it yeah. valuable. And that's the whole point of the connection between uh, a singer or an artist or a musician up there playing and somebody getting moved by that for the moment and keeping in their memory, not necessarily on a phone. or And half the, you know, 90% of the time, anything you look at on social media that was recorded at a live concert does no justice to the musician or the sound or anything. It doesn't. You're right. It's, You're it's right. Terrible. And You're right. People like when we grew up, we couldn't even see that. You know, we didn't even have video. We were, you know, MTV wasn't even started yet. Like the only thing we, the only thing we could see of our band was going and seeing them live or their picture on the back of a record album. You know, so so I don't, I don't really, you know, some of it's nice to have the convenience to go. Oh, let's turn on the TV and watch, you know, our favorite band. But and sometimes it's done well. You know, if, if there's there's good cameramen and good audio guys that capture it, but. You know anything off a phone is kind of wonky anyway. It really really is, man. It it really is. Okay, so let's, here we go. Uh, Psycho Cafe, Bang Tango's first full-length album, released in May of 1989. Uh, I remember, and we talked about fanzines, but there was another, there was another thing, and it was called MTV. And (laughs) you remember MTV? They used to play videos, Mark. Shit. Uh, and we're allowed to cuss. We're allowed to cuss on this too, Mark. If you ever let, if you oh, let cool. one slip. Right on. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, but here's the thing: we would gather around. It didn't matter what was happening on Saturday nights at midnight. I mean, you could have been the hottest girl in the world. You had the best date. My buddies and I, and we'd switch it around. You know, one night it'd be one Saturday it'd be at my place, and you know, it'd be at another buddy's house. But when Headbangers Ball came on, yeah. man, that was it. That was that was, su- that was such a huge, huge. Uh, just a way for us to discover new music. And when, I mean, someone like you, man, it, it was that was a staple. That was an absolute staple on, on on Headbangers Ball and MTV in general. 
So, so yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that, we just got we got incredibly. I would say I wouldn't say lucky, but we 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 had a management company that got us a good decent director uh, for the video. We you know real quick Psycho Cafe. You know, we went to Austin, Texas, and did the record in a little town called San Marcos. We never the band never been out of town except local you know West Coast stuff. They flew us out to Austin, Texas, with Howard Benson to make this record. We were just we were just kids. We didn't know anything. Um, you know, we we were bringing in like twenty to thirty people at the whiskey. We we come back from making this record. We do this video. We go out and play before our our first Psycho Cafe tour, and there's like a line down the street to see us at the whiskey. Do right this on. video. Right. This on. video just blew up. I mean, it was this. You know. It, it didn't happen this way for everybody either. I mean, a lot of bands had to really like, as I got to know other bands that came out of LA, uh, they had to really go out and, and work hard and their video got some exposure, but ours kind of, we got, we got like lucky with it. I would say, you know, we didn't have luck through our whole career, obviously, but <laughs> we and initially that was amazing. And then we went out, we were playing clubs across the U S and every place we played, they were sold out and we were like, holy man, holy shit. This is like unbelievable. A video. Nobody's ever heard us in this video has done this for us. Literally. So you guys go to Texas to record this album. Now, did you, did you write there? Was the, was it, you know, was the album, where was it when you guys took off? Is it something you did there? You, you took care of every, you know, the writing process, the recording no, process, no, 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 or was the, it? The album, the album was completely written before we even went to Texas. We did all the pre-production with our producer in um, North Hollywood. The songs were already written, and we were actually playing them in clubs, like, you know, anywhere we could play that would take us. We didn't pay to play, so we'd play, we didn't, like, play the Sunset Strip and sell 500 tickets, and, you know, we didn't play that game. We'd go to, like, little alternative clubs, like Club Laundry, and these little clubs outside, like bars that would just take us, and we'd just get up and play we had a lawyer that got us exposed to industry people, like kind of on a down low. And this lawyer is what got us uh, exposed to the industry. We kind of took a back route rather than doing the whole flyer and promotion. Right, just, right. And we got signed in like nine months. So these songs were kind of um, already written before even, they were like structured, everything ready to record. Then we went to Texas and did the record and recorded them. Then we came back and did the video and then, you know, launched our our tour well you you brought up the point lucky and then not so lucky but so this album comes out in 1989 would you prefer looking back on it now that you you had that record in say 87 or would you have liked to have had it in a couple years and 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 from there like early 90s because let me just say this when i hear every time i hear attack of life the, the lead song on psycho cafe right Man, I hear the beginning of Pearl Jam's yeah. once. Yeah. I, I hear that it's it's, it's that, that build up with the bass and, and everything and, and and you know, we used to, you know, wax poetically about that and, and talk about some of the bands that we liked there towards the end of the eighties and, and how they might have fared if it would have if they'd have waited a couple years, if that would have been possible because of their writing ability and their musicianship to where they would have succeeded. With the uh, that's Seattle a, that's scene, a really, that's a really tough question. I don't know. We're usually was... baked when we're talking about that shit, Mark. So I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm throwing it yeah. now into a question. But I, but I it really does. You know what I mean? The right time for that record to come out. Okay. With. I mean, we were we were on the coattails of Guns N' Roses. Uh, we were kind of spun off of that. You know, I was a big Zeppelin, Aerosmith fan, and some of the other guys were. You know, I wrote most of the riffs and stuff, and 
And I was kind of, I mean, I wrote the, the riff to, to uh, Attack Life in my parents' bedroom when I lived there, you know. Okay, That's I didn't know that. that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wrote a lot of riffs, and you know, like Wrap My Wings, I wrote in my, my childhood at home where I was, you know, I had a lot of these riffs that I had kind of worked up. And then, you know, when we got this band together, we all, I threw them out there. And, you know, we were we were kind of a Zeppelin Aerosmith kind of, you know, and then and then we had this funk, funky thing going on. Yeah. Kyle, 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 Kyle and Tig were really into the Chili Peppers, and they liked that funk thing. And then, you know, there was this goth thing going on, and, you know, we, there were so many influences. And then Kyle Stevens was a Hendrix guy, you know, he loved Hendrix, so he would bring in that kind of... So there was a lot of classic rock instilled in our music. You know, um, honestly, listening to the production now, I would have re... I would have recorded it a little differently. It's a, but but for the time, it was perfect. I think so. so. I think yeah, so. And 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 yeah. you know, it's it's a you know, it's hindsight, I guess. But but that question is something I love to ask, especially somebody who had the success in that era right there. I love I love talking to guys from about eighty eight to ninety ninety one. Yeah, it's just to, just yeah. to kind of figure out where they were. I mean, you got to strike while the iron's hot. You, you got I mean, to. Hey, I mean, hey, you know, like I said, I mean, we got lucky, but we, but our career wasn't completely lucky because I, I think we were mis, mis, uh, mismanaged and misguided, and we and we missed some opportunities that a lot of other bands, like you know, Alice in Chains, and some of these bands that were coming yeah, out of Seattle, yeah, and we weren't far off from that. We were kind of like it was kind of mingled. The Seattle movement was going on right when we were. We actually, you know, I wrote a song with uh, Mike Starr for one of the Al- Alice in Chains. Uh, me and Joe Lestay wrote a song for. Uh, for one of the Alice in Chains song, uh, records, you know, so there was like, uh, there was this kind of inner inner thing going on between Seattle and L.A., even though they didn't like the L.A. bands because they were glammy, but, you know, whatever. Uh, but it, it wasn't that far off, and we were we could have crossed over into that just kind of how, like, you know, Guns N' Roses kind of did in a sense, you know. Um, so there was just, you know, I, it, that's a tough question. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. I just, I, yeah. I love thinking about that because, I mean, we love music so obviously we love music so much with our jobs and stuff. But I just that's just one of the things. It was just such an interesting time for me. Number one, did to hear, be. Did you hear "Love After Death" or last record we did? You know what? I I saw you put that up on your Facebook yeah. page, and 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 a buddy of mine who plays guitar here in town, we were talking about some of the things that didn't get out that we didn't get to hear from Bang Tango. Talk about that record that you were. How I, no? I mean, that was the heaviest record we did. If you want to, if if there was a band that could have crossed over into that whole like genre, everybody goes, "Oh, Kurt Cobain killed your career." Blah blah no. blah. That's bullshit with us because we we liked all those bands. I mean, we were Soundgarden fans. I mean, you know, we were, you know, we were Pearl Jam. We were Mother Love Bone was one of our favorite bands. We all loved them. You know, and our whole band members. We we would listen to the record. And we're like, these guys are killer. You know, but somehow we got you know put in that box of being a Right. the hell people want to call us, you know? But it was like, you know, you listen to Love After Death, not like we were chasing any, like, grunge rock scene or anything, but it, it's as heavy as any Stone Temple Pilots record or any any of those kind of sounds. Uh, we were right there with it, but, you know, I mean, we probably could have hung on a little longer and, and maybe got through it, but, uh, you know, it just it started fizzling. That it, You know, once that record didn't get picked up properly... And didn't get released worldwide. It just kind of got released in Europe, and the band started like fizzling because of you know we were we were let down. We spent two and a half years making that record, and it and and we get dropped from MCA right when we're about to put it out. So so let's let's go from your time in the band to and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Around ninety five, ninety six was that is that correct? 
I mean, yeah, okay. ninety-five is not exactly ninety-five is when the initial original lineup split. Kyle Stevens had quit the band a year before that. Right, so, right, right. The other four guys, yeah, we all just disbanded off this European tour. Everybody has said, well, you know, goodbye, boom, it was gone. So we we go from from nineteen ninety five to to you know you've done a handful of things, but I want I want to get to Mark Knight and the unsung heroes. Okay, so so the process was I uh, I started writing songs and singing and doing my own thing, and I got really into Americana singer songwriter kind of music, uh, real rootsy stuff that was still blues based and rock based, but not so pretentious and not so you know just super loud guitars where you could play out of tune, nobody would know. I, I was really I was I was like kind of my taste was like maturing I would say I guess right I no that's, that's right absolutely yeah and then I started writing my own songs I'd bring them in like towards the end of uh, Love After Death a couple of songs that uh, you know I started writing lyrics and stuff and and I could tell that it just I don't I don't think it would have like meant it would have like blended with Bang Tango because Bang Tango was like you do this you do that everybody you know you can't spread it out. I can't be writing lyrics. I would offend somebody else. (laughs) Right, right. It just just got kind of funky like that where everybody was a little close-minded because that's the way, you know, our jobs were kind of zoned out within the band. So I started just being like, well, I just want to write songs and sing. And I just, I went on this whole, like, I don't care about doing anything but doing that. You know, I just want to sing and play guitar. So I started writing my own songs, doing these acoustic shows. Then eventually I picked Electric up again. I, I started fronting my own band. I had to learn how to sing properly, and that took years to get that together. And I went through hundreds of different musicians and different carnations of my people playing my original music for me and different names. You know, I had Worry Bees, I had Gravy. Um, I'd do some spinoff bands, too. And eventually, just I did this solo record, and it was just Mark Knight. I got together with Matt Apps from Government Buell, the drummer, uh, and we did this record together. And from there, uh, I formed Mark Knight and the Unsung Heroes and did... Uh, a couple studio records with these guys, and that's kind of where I am now. Yeah, and, and I don't want to brush over uh, Road Sick Eyes because there's some there's some great stuff on there, but I, I really want to talk about Don't Kill the Cat, your latest release, and, and the band you have now. And from, from what I can hear... Uh, now, the, the guys in the studio, the, in, in the studio, that's, that's what we're going to see. That's what you see when you see uh, Mark Knight and the Unsung Heroes now, right? This is the band. This is yeah, the current band. You, I'll tell you real yeah, quick. Yeah, hip us. So I went in with a whole group of guys to make uh, Don't Kill the Cat. I get them right. in the studio. I wrote all the songs. Demo. I, I, I write all the songs for almost every project. So I wrote all the songs. I demoed them at my house on a, a you know an 8-track um, acoustic. I gave, them, I gave the guys who I was playing with at the time, who none of them are playing with me now, uh, they all had the songs. We went into pre-production uh, just to like work them up before we went in the studio. The drummer quit the first uh, two or three rehearsals because you know I'm like, man, you're just bashing too hard. You're not doing it. Drummers, man, what the hell, Mark? He what just, is their he deal? Just, he, just, he just snapped because <laughs> we gave him a couple guidance things, and he thought we were jumping on him, so he quit, which was good because I knew he wasn't really going to cut the band. He just wasn't the guy. So, anyways, we go into the studio. Um, you know, the lineup I had was decent. I kind of put a studio band together, and like two or three songs in, you know, it just, the bass player wasn't showing up. He was feeling insecure about his tracks. He wasn't really cut. So we brought in um, Wayne Lothian, who played in the English Beat. He's just right like a phenomenal bass player. He came in and just, you know, two or three takes, just like mind-blowing. But I'm like, okay, cool, man. I got, I got you. 
I call you. I call you. Not necessarily for the, for the band yet, but just for the studio session. Right. I love the music. Uh, a couple. I brought another. A couple other bass players, and I brought in. Uh, and then my buddy Matt Apps from Government Mules was up for doing a track, so I, he brought in uh, Jorgen Carlson from uh, Government Mule. So I had the whole rhythm section doing another song. So here I'm starting to go. Okay, I'm starting to get all these like really kind of hot hot players in Studio Cats. Right, right. It's record where it was like the standard was going up. They had to be like top notch players to to make this record because the guys producing it and you know we all felt like we got to get the right guys so i ended up doing most of the guitars because uh the guitar player he he uh you know he he, he kind of came in and colored things up but uh you know he he played on a lot of the songs um but by the end of the by the end of the record you know I, most of it i did you well know, yeah you're I, mark knight dude you don't need <laughs> you don't need to bring in a guitar player mark let's just let's just cut the shit here you don't need to bring an, an another I, I, you know what you know i like to get other you know, taste and flavor. Fair and enough. Bottom line is like, <laughs> I had the shit worked out. Gotcha. You know? So, 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 record's done. We finally mix it. You know, all those guys were, they were just like, by the wayside. None of them were even showing up to the mixes. They were just, didn't think, you know, it was pretty much like, well, you guys, you know, you guys kind of disappeared, you know, and, and some of them were, were occupied with other bands and stuff, but, and they were kind of getting like, fair weathered about the project and I so I pressed on with all these cats and these great musicians and made this great record. And I was just like, this stuff is like the best stuff I've ever done. And I was so happy. I oversee the whole thing. I co produced it and me and Edward, the drummer, who actually was in a band with me in Worry Beats years ago, he, he co produced it with me and played all the drum tracks like incredible. So okay, I'm thinking, I got him as a drummer. Okay, let's see how I can build this band. So I I'm like, what about Wayne? And uh Edward goes, let's get Wayne, let's ask him. He's like, I'm down, man. So so that was my rhythm section. Then I'm like, I need another guitar player. So I went to Kyle Stevens from Bang Tango, and boom. Boom. That's the lineup. That's awesome, man. And, and, and it's it's such a good record. My buddies and I have been jamming on it uh, the last couple of weeks, I'll, I'll be honest with you. And it's uh, there's so many good songs. Uh, hey Mama, the title track, uh, I, I think a test of times. But I'm telling you, I think I told you this before, and I've told my buddies, uh, 1955, Man, that could be on a Traveling Wilburys record, man. Oh, it's, thank you so it's much. So, that's, one of my, that's one of my favorites. So spot it, on, yeah. man. So spot right on. on. It's like those, right all on. those cats would di- they would do that song, man. I just I yeah. think it's it's great. Yeah. And I'm I'm Appreciate super happy for you, Mark. It's it's a great thank you record. So much. Cool, man. Great. Thanks so much. I'm glad you get it. Yeah, it's, you know it's not it's not it's not a Bang Tango record by any means, but you know this is kind of like what I've finally. I found my. So many people have said, "You found your voice finally. You finally figured it out." <laughs> you know, and and here's the thing, man. I for the bands that I liked growing up, um, I I like to see where the artists are going. Now, uh, Phil and Tracy from uh, L.A. Guns, they had oh, a, a record that latest record, The Missing Piece. It sounds right. like 1987, Mark. It is amazing. Uh, the Bullet hey, Boys. 1987. They like nailed oh, that old. Uh, dude, it's I don't know how they were able to do it, but the missing piece, and That's it was so cool. it was my favorite record of of 2017. It, it was. Rad. They got like the old sound. They they were able to capture it, and so I guess my point is so, and then also, uh, uh Mark Torian. Uh, yeah, we don't, we don't yeah, need to Mark. go into that, but but Mark well, Torian. Uh, he well. <laughs> right. Fair enough. We we don't need to go into that, but. Uh, they have a new record, but the record they did, I think it was a couple years ago, and it was called Elefante. It's something that I talked about on this show. Right. It sounds like an active rock record. 
but it's really, really good. but it's really 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 damn good and yeah. so and then and then then we've got you know we've got Mark you know from Bang Tango who, who's <laughs> doing his own thing I love seeing what all the guys that I dug growing up and it's everybody's different whether they want the, to to recapture that old sound they want to try something new I think it's just fun to see because so many of you guys from that scene Dude, you're just fucking talented. It's just, it's you guys write good music. It's there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but what's sad is a lot of them have given it up because it's like you know, it's it's not even to make it's not easy to make a living at it. So I understand. I understand. Yeah, right on. You know, but but it's 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 great to see the survivors and the you know the ones out there still reinventing themselves and trying different things and uh, you know like. Like I got Oni Logan from Lynch Mob, you know, he got up and love him. Of mine. He came in and love did the Hey Mama with me, you know, that's him. That's he's the other voice. Oh, I love him. Yeah, he yeah. A great voice, great voice. He's just a great dude, and he wanted to do different stuff. He always told me, he goes, "We got to do something together." So I, you know, I gave him the demos of the record. He didn't really like latch on to any of them. Then he, then I go, I got this one, Hey Mama. It's more of a stompy blues rock one up your alley. He like took to it and he was at the studio two days later and there we go and it was like so great you know so if people want to catch up with you if people want to check out the new mark knight and the unsung heroes album don't kill the cat i mean where can we see you? are you just out on the left coast for now or are we going to see you you're going to make uh, yeah, your way coast, but i'm all over social media there's uh you know www.marknightandtheunsungheroes.com you want to find any information about me or how to get any of my music um, I'm on Spotify. I'm on uh, iTunes. That's where I got. I got it on iTunes. Yeah, and, I'm on Spotify. I mean, I'm all. I have Bandcamp. Like, I'm up with all the youngsters. You know. See, there you <laughs> go, man. Love the new record, Mark Knight and the Unsung Heroes. Uh, Mark, thanks so much, man. We'll catch up again soon, bro. All right, Tommy. Thanks so much. See, there you go. Don't you feel like you were uh, out at Sunset Strip there in the late '80s? I do. That's Don't cool. That, I mean, that's such a cool time. That's it, the Mesopotamia of rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> when we're getting off, when we yeah, get off the air yeah. here, t- tell me what that okay, exactly okay, what that okay. is. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed that interview. And uh, you know what? I think we'll do it again sometime. I think we'll get we got to get Mark in studio and uh, and have him just play some of those old riffs and stuff that. He wrote for Bang Tango. And if you listen, because I'm not super familiar with Bang Tango, but what I've I've listened to it a little bit from, from that you've told me about, yeah. it's definitely got that cool oh, sunset strip yeah, it does. sound. Yeah, man. it does. And honestly, with everything that Mark's doing now, we got to hear some of his new stuff when he when we get him in studio with us because uh, he's right. He's still writing great music. It's it's not yeah. the it's not the the hard rock metal, but damn, it sounds good. And, and like I said, and you heard some of the names listed there. Guy has surrounded himself with some just absolute quality musicians. So, uh, best of luck to to Mark Knight. I, you know what? I always and like I told him there, I always pull for the guys from that era and whatever they decide mm-hmm. to do because there was such a a creative group back then. It was just uh, there was so much talent. And everybody just thinks that it was hairspray, you know, Aquanet and uh, spandex, <laughs> and that's just not the case, man. <laughs> just not the case. So, hope you enjoyed it. A, a very successful artist edition. edition. And remember, you can access vinyl analysis at QFM96.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you listen to vinyl analysis on iTunes, please leave a comment. And rate and review rate us. us. Review yeah. us. We, we need it. We need reviewing. <laughs> Quite <laughs> In more ways than one. For producer Greg Hansberry, I am Arch Madness. This has been Vinyl Analysis. Stay frosty. <laughs> we 
wearing skinny jeans before any of these millennials even knew what the hell that was.